0: sports fans of all ages faces and places from every stadium arena and auditorium all over the world may i have your attention please what well, time's coming when we're going to have to handy up Handy up and kick in like men like men it is now time to bring to your listening ears hearts and minds a sports podcast named Wendell's world in sports with the one and only Wendell Wallace, tell him how you feel. A podcast that gives you strong, passionate, unapologetic, uncompromised thoughts and opinions about the everyday happenings in the NFL, and college football to the NBA and my Georgetown Hoyas. The honest. Fires one down and an exclamation point for Milwaukee. To any other sporting news of the day. And now, introducing the man whose love of sports was born and bred on the greatest Muhammad Ali, Lim Baez, Magic Johnson, Bernard King, and Eric Dickerson, Wendell Wallace. My greetings and salutations include
1: good morning. Good aben, bonjour, bonsoir, ke passa, shalom, wassalam alaikum, konnichiwa, namaste. Welcome to Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of great things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports. I hope that you're doing all right. I hope you're doing fantastic. I hope that you're doing everything that you need to do to make this world a better place through love, through peace, through unity, through understanding, through empathy, through compassion, through respect. Find someone of a different race. Find someone of a different gender. Find someone of a different religion. Find someone of a different political background. Find someone from the other side of the track. Find someone from the other side of the planet and have a conversation. Have a conversation about life. Have a conversation about yours and yous and everything else. And when you're listening to that person and they're explaining their situation and they're explaining who they are and their religion and their life and their everything, shut up. Learn in a lesson and respect, please, what we need right now for more love, peace, and unity and harmony in the world today. For those who deserve it, give them your love, give them your understanding, give them your empathy, give them your compassion, give them your respect. That would be fantastic. And also, another thing that I want you to do, anywhere where you're listening to your favorite podcast, I don't care, man, iHeart, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, do me a favor. Download, subscribe, rate, review. Most importantly, enjoy the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast that you can listen to. If you can do that, it would make me, again, the happiest human being walking the face of the earth. No lie, no lies, no lies. I am recording this on a Wednesday afternoon, and I'm so glad that I'm recording this on the, on a Wednesday afternoon, and I'll tell you why. But think about doing it on Tuesday, but because I know that the... Um, College football playoff game was happening on Monday night, and, you know, I wanted to serve it up while it was still hot, but but the one thing that kind of held me back with the fact that, you know, wanted to get to all the firings in terms of the NFL coaches, but I was like, man, I don't want to do a podcast talking about NFL coaches being fired on Tuesday, and then on Wednesday, we hear the news that Bill Belichick. Had been fired, or Bill Belichick has resigned, because I definitely want to sink my teeth into that either way. Now, as of this recording, Bill Belichick has not resigned. Bill Belichick, there's no news coming from Bill Belichick or the New England Patriots concerning his situation, but I'm so glad that I decided toward the afternoon to record this on a Wednesday because, of course, of the news that went down, which is Nick Saban, the head coach, or the former head coach, of the Alabama Crimson Tide has stepped down and he's retiring at the age of 72 and um, was interested in terms of wanting to hear the scuttle button and and, and, and and the folks on the talking shows and on the ESPN shows and talking about Nick Saban and those on college game day and the Paul Feinbaum's so I wanted to get their thoughts and opinions and match them up to mine and See where we stand and see where the differences are and see where the similarities are concerning the legacy, concerning the news that Nick Saban is no longer going to be coaching Alabama because he wants to retire. My my first thought was when I heard the news that um, he stepped down was, okay, (laughs) the man is 72 years old. I don't know how much ageism, and we'll even speak about this when we speak about uh, Pete Carroll getting fired. Resigning, either way you want to look at it, from the Seattle Seahawks. I don't know if ageism p- played a role in this, but the first thing that I thought about when Sabin st- said he was going to retire or the news came down that Sabin was going to retire was okay, the man is 72 years old. He ain't going to be doing this forever. Yeah, but he's a robust 72 and he had the energy and he had the vigor and he had the passion and he had a- the man is 72 years old. What more can he prove? What more does he want to prove? How much longer does he want to do this? Does the passion still burn? Does the fire still burn? Or how much did the new college, the new ways of college football play into his decision? Now, I'm guessing some of it did in terms of the new way of college football with the NIL and in and, and the transfer portal and we're going to 12 playoff and a 12 team playoff and all this type of stuff and when you remember when nick saban got into coaching and when nick saban took his first job at uh, michigan state I'm, I'm not i'm quite sure might have been the infancy of the bcs so we're, we're talking about a two-team no playoff situation whatsoever and he's gone all the way to the fact that the year after he's going to retire that there's going to be a 12 12- team playoff in college football. So Nick Saban's career as a head football coach, a highly successful head football coach in college, when you speak about Michigan State, and when you speak about LSU, and then when you speak about Alabama, is something where you can say he's the greatest college football coach of all time. Now, you can make an argument about Bear Bryant, you can make an argument about Bud Wilkinson, you can make an argument about all them folks. My deal is that he deserves to be mentioned right up there. And when you start speaking about who's the greatest football coach in college, football might be one of the greatest coaches in sports, period, regardless if it's football, basketball, baseball, hockey, whatever, whatever team sport you want to bring up, football, American soccer, whatever. Nick Saban's, his resume speaks for itself. His success speaks for itself. And not only that, When you take a look at the impact that he had on his players and the impact that he had on the game itself, yes, he deserves to be right up there with the greatest, the pantheon, shall we say, of the greatest coaches who's ever coached in in any sport. But again, my deal was like, okay, the man is 72 years old. How much does he want to deal with the NIL? How much does he want to deal with the transfer portal? how much does he want to try to repl- replicate or even improve on the team that he had this season in terms of the expectations in terms of the buying the buy in what he thought the joy that he had in coaching this team and, and really despite all of the championships the seven national championships that he's won you could arguably say that this coaching job that Nick Saban did with this Alabama football team at the age of 71 Might have been his greatest football, it might have been his greatest coaching job ever from what he got out of that squad. If you would have told me, if you would have told your girlfriend, if you would have told your husband, if you would have told your friend, if you would have told your homeboy, if you would have told your classmates, if you would have told anybody who's a college football fan in September that Alabama was going to be one of the teams representing college football in the semifinals and be an overtime play away from moving on to the national championship they would have laughed at you if you would have told anybody who's a college football fan after watching alabama play texas in september and then barely get by as was central florida south florida one of the florida teams that weren't florida or miami see them barely get by and if, after those games, you would have said, yeah, but you know what? I think Alabama is going to be one of the four best teams in the country by the time that the season's over. And that four best team is arguably, that that, that, that could be a nice argument. But what I'm saying is, is that if you would have made the argument then that, you know what, I think Alabama, after losing to Texas and now barely beating South Florida, they're going to run the table. They're going to be Georgia the national in the um, SEC Championship, Conference Championship game, and then – be one of the fourteenth that are going to be competing for a national championship, if you would have told anybody who's a college football fan in September that scenario, they would have laughed at you. I would have laughed at you. Paul Feinbaum probably would have laughed at you. Chris Lowe would have laughed at you. Joel Klatt would have laughed at you. Anybody who follows college football, making six and seven figures, talks about it, writes about it, would have laughed at you if you would have said that scenario in terms of where they began and where they ended up starting in September, if you would have told that uh, situation in September. And if anyone would have agreed with you, you would have said they were crazy. So the job that Nick Saban did, if, if someone would have told you that Jalen Milrow, when he was uh, benched after that Texas game, if someone would have told you back then who followed college football, who knew anything about college football, just a small mokrum of information regarding college football, if they would have told you in September that Jalen Milrow would be one of the few players uh, on the outside looking in for Heisman Trophy consideration after that game against texas and then being benched the next game they would have laughed at you i would have laughed at you i was talking about the fall of uh, alabama in terms of being one of the elite college football programs i believe back in late um september early october in one of my um in one of my podcasts and then why did i get that idea how did i get that idea because I saw something interesting on ESP, ESPN.com about what has gone wrong with Alabama, what has gone wrong with the quarterback situation with Alabama. Is now the time to say that Alabama is no longer the elite of the elite in college football? If you would have asked Dan Wetzel, if you would have asked uh, those guys, they would have probably been like, yeah. Now, none of us would have been stupid enough to say, yeah, they're going to fall off the cliff. But we saw what Georgia was doing. We saw the programs such as Ohio State and others. And we would have said, yeah, um, Alabama's no longer the big dog. And maybe that's a situation where if you take a look at it, Nick Saban kind of took a look around the landscape and said, do I really want to continue at the age of 72 to try to go up against Kirby Smart and Georgia's football program? With the way now that the conferences have been realigned and we take a look at the new Big Ten, And we take a look at the new SEC. Do I really, at the age of 72, want to go ahead and try to do this nonsense again? Try to climb that hill again? Face that obstacle again? The man, again, is 72 years old. And I'm not saying that after you reach a certain age that you should just pack things up and want to sit around and play with the grandkids and go to the beach and play shuffleboard and all that other nonsense the stereotypical um, seniors do. But still, it's just a situation where Nick Saban should be like, "Hey, man, I'm 72 years old. I'll say it again. I'm 72 years old. I've accomplished everything that I want to accomplish in the world of college football. I'm not going to the NFL, so I'm strictly going to be about college football. So what? What other obstacle is there for me to climb? What battle is there out for out there for me to win? Nothing. Nothing." He's leaving college football. Y'all can talk about college football being screwed up. You can talk about how horrible college football is because of the NIL and because of the transfer portal. And God forbid we give more power and control to players rather than coaches. Oh my goodness gracious, we don't want to do that. We're going to be giving players now more freedom. We're going to give players now more power. We're going to take away some of the power from these coaches who are making 10 to 11 million dollars. Oh, my word. College football is just terrible. It's just horrible. It's just fouled up. It's just screwed up. Give me a fucking break with that nonsense. But Nick Saban has nothing more to uh, accomplish. Except just repeat, wash, rinse, and repeat. And maybe That's it. Maybe just winning another championship doesn't quench his competitive thirst. And maybe it's a situation where it's like, look, man, I've got, I'm 72 years old. I'm feeling fine. My mind is still sharp for someone my age. My um, faculties and my physical is is still well enough for me to drive and for me to uh, live um, without assisted living or to live in my own house and to drive my own car and, and, and do all the things that I want to do still. But I'll say it again. I'm 72 years old. How long am I going to be able to do those things? Am I going to be able to do those things for 10 more years? Am I going to be able to do those things for 15 more years? Am I going to be able to do those things for five more years? Do I want to be like Joe Paterno? Do I want to be like Bear Bryant to where I coached until I basically dropped dead? It wasn't even a month after Bear Bryant retired that he dropped dead. How long did it take for Joe Paterno? Or Joe Paterno, it didn't, he didn't last long. After um, he quit coaching, before his demise physically and his in his ultimate death. So if I'm Nick Saban, hey man, I've done everything that I wanted to do. Now let me go ahead and enjoy it. Now let me go ahead and have folks kiss the ring. Now let me have coaches and other people and other folks in college football come to the the the, the throne of Saban and bow down to the greatest, bow down to the legend, and I want to be cognizant for it man don't be giving me my platitudes don't be giving me my high fives don't be giving me my salutes don't be giving me my uh, references when I'm dead don't be giving me my 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 vocal flowers when I'm dead I won't be able to hear it (laughs) nah man I'm going to retire and I want folks to yeah, the greatest of them all Nick Saban marinate in that flow in that swim in that embrace in that enjoy that because you don't know how much longer you have and again hey man we could all die 15 minutes from now or 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 10 decades from now who knows who knows what life holds man but just keep holding on to the faith whatever your faith is right in terms of let's just see what we can do to the to to see another day right but come on man at 72 years old man you're closer to the end of the golf you're you're definitely on the back nine if you're nick saban and the career that he had, the life that he had, hey man, enjoy. Enjoy. You know, we'll have plenty of time in terms of the next the next months or years and stuff to talk about your legacy, to talk about how great you are. Now the now the conversation begins. Who's gonna replace Nick Saban? Is it gonna be Kirby Smart? Is it gonna be Steve Sarkeesian? Is it gonna be Dabo Swinney? Why would you want to why would you want to come after Basically, the Jesus Christ of football for the last, I don't know, 5, 10, 15 years. Especially when we're speaking about Alabama, where there were some whispers. There were some rumblings. There were some grumblings about, man, how long has it been since uh, Nick Saban won himself a national championship? So there was a little bit of of that undertone. And this is Nick Saban we're talking about. If you're Kirby Smart, why the hell would you want to leave Georgia, a place where you can arguably say that Georgia now is the top dog of college football programs they're at the top of the mountain baby they are the they are the, the, the cream of the crop if I could use that cliche the cream of the crop the salt of the earth the fruit of the loom when it comes to college football why would Kirby Smart want to leave that gig oh and he's also getting paid as one of the top paid coaches the highest paid coach in, the, in uh, college football so why would he want to leave the dynasty that he built to go ahead and take the place of Nick Saban, why? Because he was because Nick Saban coached him. What greater what, what greater ascension can Kirby Smart get or can Kirby Smart rise to, being the coach at Alabama when he's the coach at Georgia? The same thing as Steve Sarkisian. Well, he's going to leave Texas. Texas is, is on the same plane, is in the same zip code, is on the stream, same street, as as, as Alabama when you're speaking about some of the advantages for that program to become a dynasty. Why would Steve Sarkeesian want to leave Austin, Texas to go to Alabama, Birmingham, Alabama? Why in the world would Kirby Smart, and he's from that region, why would he want to leave Athens, Georgia to go to Birmingham, Alabama? So she can hear Billy Joe and Tammy Sue talk about, I can't believe the doggone that the, that the uh, Kirby Smart and... And Alabama can't believe that they lost a football game. Nick Saban would not have done that. Bear Bryant would have never done something like that. They wouldn't have lost to that doggone team. What the hell's going on down there? Yep, yep, yep. So why would uh, Kirby Smart put up with that bullshit? Why would Dan Lanning put up with that bullshit? Why would anybody who has a program that they've built want to leave the program that they have built to go to Alabama? What would be the upside? What would be the challenge? I don't want to pile on. I don't want to continue a legacy that Nick Saban built. I want to build my own legacy. I want to build my own legacy. I want, when I retire, if I'm damn laying and I'm out in Oregon, hey man, when I retire in 10 or 15 or 20 years and I've got my four championships or my five championships and I'm regarded as one of the greatest coaches of my generation, I want the next guy who's going to replace me as the coach at the University of Oregon to say, "Now that's okay, I can't. I can't replicate that. I can't do better than that. That's the same thing with Kirby Smart. When Kirby Smart retires, I want to be, if I'm Kirby Smart, I want to be in the position that Nick Saban is in. I want to build my program at Georgia the way that Nick Saban built his program at Alabama. So I can have some of my assistants or some of the players that I coached be in the position to say, when I retire, let's give him that job. Let's have him uh, come after Kirby Smart, whether it be someone that coached under him, someone that played under him. That's what Kirby Smart, that's what Dan Lanning, that's what Dabo Swinney, that's what all these guys should be doing. So I, I, I don't understand or I don't get the the the, the discussion about, you know, who's going to be the next head coach if they start naming off these great coaches from these great football programs. So I don't know what direction they're going to do. I don't know what direction Alabama is going to go. But um, I don't know how that affects the soon way too early top 25 where Georgia and Alabama was supposed to be one and two or one and three or in the, you know one of the top teams to uh compete for a national championship again college football is going to look a lot different because of conferences because of the playoff format but it'll be it'll be interesting it'll be interesting to see what Milrose is going to do it's going to be interesting to see what uh, Justin Salen the uh recruit who's supposed to be the savior at the quarterback position from California. The uh, freshman recruit is going to be interesting to see what he does. It's going to be interesting to see what Nick Saban does next. So kudos to Nick Saban, man. Congratulations to Nick Saban in terms of a wonderful career, in terms of college football. Yeah, now, 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 let's see, now let's see what your second act is going to be. I would love to see him in terms of, you know, being on, uh, being on a platform where I can hear him talk about college football and other things. I'm quite sure that he's going to command, what, high five-figure, six-figure speaking engagements. So, yeah, don't don't feel sorry for uh, Nick Saban. If he doesn't want to coach anymore, hey, man, how many people are forced to retire? How many people are forced to retire without a nest egg, without um, retirement, without a situation where they can't retire? Nick Saban won. Nick Saban won in college football. Nick Saban won in life. He's got a beautiful wife, got a beautiful kids, got beautiful grandkids that he all loves that he loves and respects. Got a beautiful house on there in the lake, riding that boat that he has out there. Hey man, life is great. Life is fantastic for Nick Saban. Instead of trying to win college football games and dealing with the bullshit of college football, hey man, let him enjoy the fruits of his labor for as long as he can, both physically and mentally. Because um, I hate to say this, all of this is going to come to an end one day. We don't know when, but there's going to be a time where Nick Saban is still going to be living, and unfortunately, he's not going to be able to enjoy all of those goodies that he's accumulated because of his hard work and his sacrifice and uh, and those type of things. So, enjoy them while you still can, and enjoy them to the fullest, physically and mentally. So, congratulations to Nick Saban. Job well done. Now, go ahead, man, and uh, enjoy the rest of your time, and uh, hopefully... I'll be hearing from you down the road.
0: (laughs) Buy a new car but the ain't right out of powder
1: yeah, Wendell's World in Sports I'm your host Wendell Waller So glad that you could be with us A lot of great things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports. Wanted to try to keep this somewhere around about an hour and 10, hour and 15 minute podcast. I had my things set up to what I was going to be speaking about, what I was going to be talking about. Man, I even had some NBA stuff that I wanted to get into. Man, did you uh, see last uh, Thursday night's game between or the doubleheader with uh, Milwaukee and San Antonio followed by Golden State and Denver? Woo! Man, those were two good games, man. That was, that was, yeah. That was awesome. That was awesome. Wimbenyana versus Giannis. Then we had the, the, um, uh, Nikola Jokic and, uh, going up with that shot that he hit the game that Aaron Gordon had. That was two awesome games. I wanted to go ahead and talk about that. I wanted to talk about the Denver Nuggets. I wanted to go ahead and talk about the return of Draymond Green. I wanted to go ahead and talk about the um, rant, one of the all-time greatest rants by the Toronto Raptors head coach. Unfortunately, one of the few games that I missed that the Lakers played was a game against Toronto where it was a 132-131 barn burner. And I was out hanging out with some folks missing that game. So, God damn it, son of a bitch. But man, man, that rant by the uh, by the coach for Toronto, he might be next to Greg Popovich, my favorite coach after that one, man. And people are laughing about, oh, did you hear what he said about Scarly Barnes? If I'm Scarly Barnes, it's like, hey, man, I'll run through a wall for you, man. I'll jump off. I'll jump into Lake Mead wearing wearing an anchor for you, man. When you say jump, I'll say how high. When you tell me to rob a bank, I'll say which one. That's my loyalty. That's my devotion for you after what you uh, said about me, man. It wasn't written. It wasn't scripted. I mean, that was passion. That was belief. That was something In terms of his admiration, what he said about Scully Barnes, and what he said about his team getting host—that's a coach where I'm kind of like, "All right, man, you got my respect. All right, man, I'm gonna play as hard as I possibly can for you." That rant was all time great, was all time fantastic. It was right up there with the Hal McCray throwing the uh, telephone and stop asking me these stupid ass questions. Every, I, I don't give a damn. You tell the players. I don't give a damn. I'm tired of this bullshit. That that rant by Hal McRae, book it up on YouTube. That was legendary. I consider that one of the, one of the all time greats, if not the all time greatest, uh, rant by a coach or a manager. Followed followed probably by the Dennis um, Dennis Green. We are who they thought they were. They are we, who they all really thought they were. Now if you want to crown them? Boom! Crown their ass. Now that, that was awesome. And then Jim Moore at the playoffs. Playoffs, the playoffs, those are my those are off the top of my head my favorite rants. But that rant by um the coach for the Toronto Raptors last night, put it right there, man. Put it right up there with them because that was um that was fantastic. That was absolutely fantastic. And uh Matt respect. It might cost him, I don't know, a couple of hundred thousand dollars. But if I'm Simon Giri or the owners, I'm like, don't worry, man. I got you. I got you. Don't worry about it. Because what he what he did was absolutely fantastic. So I wanted to talk about that. I wanted to talk about the Lakers struggling, even though they've won a couple of games in a row. Big win on Sunday against the Los Angeles Clippers. I wanted to talk about the Los Angeles Clippers. And um, and uh, Kawhi Leonard getting himself a three-year $153 million contract extension at the age of 32. Is he going to last in terms of the injuries are concerned, concern? The Clippers, I'm loving the way they're playing. I like the chemistry. I love, love watching the Clippers, mainly because of Russell Westbrook. Man, people might have some bad things to say about Russell Westbrook because of the, um, I, I, I think, um, the misunderstanding uh, Russell Westbrook in terms of because he won't let uh, fans disrespect him, all those type of things. He's willing to say, look, motherfucker, you're going to talk about me like that? Talk to me like that in my face and see what happens. Because he don't take no shit from, uh, from the um, uh, fans and stuff. And he might be a little bit, uh, back in his day when he was the head honcho, he might be a little bit testy. Sometimes with the media. Sometimes after games and stuff might be a little bit, uh, you know, tread lightly, tread very softly. Was uh, Westbrook back in his time, but in terms of being a teammate is concerned, There have always been stories about how great of a teammate Russell Westbrook is. If you have the opportunity to watch a Clipper game, and they're going to be playing tonight, uh man, I forgot who they're playing tonight. I saw them play against the Suns. Saw them play against the Lakers. But watch Russell Westbrook and see how involved he is with his teammates. I was uh, in L.A., um, the weekend of December 10th. So I went and my boy Mia Wex went to watch a Clipper game versus the um, Portland Trailblazers. So I was right there at Crypto. And the amount of energy and time and compassion and how involved Russell Westbrook is in a game coaching, advising, cajoling, uh, so exuberant with his teammates. Coaching them on, cheering them on, so heavily involved, it's awesome, man. Because Russell Westbrook easily could have accepted the demotion and sat there and been like, man, motherfuckers can't believe the bullshit. Man. I'm Russell Westbrook, I'm MVP, triple double, it's Tyronn Lue, motherfuckers, shit the fuck this shit. Is. He could have, he could have done all of that, but instead, man, the 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 the, the amount of the amount of of of, of gift. Or the amount of buy-in that Russell Westbrook has with the Los Angeles Clippers. My man is on the bench most of the time when we were at the game against the Portland Trailblazers. This wasn't one of these. this wasn't this wasn't a a, a super important game. This was a no name game on a Monday night against the Portland Trailblazers. and he's up there acting like it's game seven of the NBA Finals. The way he's up there coaching when Tyron Lewis with the other coaches during the timeout and they're near center court going over strategy. Who's talking to the players? Clapping, slapping hands. Hey, this, that, and the other. Come on, man. This, that, and the other. Do, 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 do. It's Russell Westbrook. So it's like, that was awesome. That was awesome. And a lot of things dealing with the Clippers. I know I'm not supposed to be talking about the NBA. I'm supposed to be getting to uh college football, but you know, you got me talking about my Holly Berry, you got me talking about the love of my life, you got me talking about my Monica Bellucci, you got me talking about my Jada Fire, you got me talking about the love of my life, you taught me myself, my Selma Hayek, so let me so so excuse me for a second while I while I go on this rant, while I go on while I while I go off the uh off the rails a little bit speaking about something I didn't want to speak about. But, um, you know, people are speaking about oh, with the L.A. Clippers. You know, they talk about Kawhi's injury. They talk about chemistry. They talk about James Harden failures in the playoffs. All of that stuff, especially when you speak about James Harden. James Harden was failing in the playoffs because James Harden couldn't live up to the hype, to the expectations of being the main man in the playoffs. Now you've got Paul George. Now you've got Kawhi Leonard. Those are the guys. They're going to take the responsibilities for the Clippers winning and losing in the playoffs. So if Paul George, who's been playing some really good basketball, and Kawhi Leonard continues to stay relatively injury-free, and they get themselves in the playoffs, outside of, of course, Denver, and this the season's a long way, and we still have a couple of months to go, but I'm telling you right now, the Clippers are a dangerous, dangerous, dangerous team in the Western Conference if... Kawhi and Paul George are relatively healthy because guess what? James Harden can be the third banana. Everywhere he's played, he's either been 1, 1A, or with Philadelphia number two behind Joel Embiid. Now, he doesn't have to go out and get 35 points a game. He doesn't have to go out and be the determining factor whether his team wins or loses in the playoffs. So James Harden can maybe not disappear but he doesn't have to be the star of the show he doesn't have to be he doesn't have to be Michael Jackson with the Jackson 5 he doesn't have to be Levi Stubbs with the 4 tops he doesn't have to be David Ruffin with the Temptations he doesn't have to be Prince with the Revolution he can be Tito, he can be Jermaine, he can be Abdul Fakir he can be any of those guys, he can be the background singer he could be Donnie to Kawhi Leonard's Murray Osman. He doesn't have to be the main man. And that determining factor, and him being that, is not going to be a determining factor whether the Los Angeles Clippers win or lose. So for the first time in his career, James Harden is going to have the opportunity, again, depending upon the overall health of Kawhi and Paul George, James Harden's going to have the opportunity to be like, hey man, I'm just going to play point guard and rack up assist. I don't need to shoot the ball 25 to 30 times. I'm not being counted on to run the entire offense. Passing, shooting, scoring, facilitating, all those type of things. I don't need to do that. I've got Terrence Mann. I've got Norm Powell. I've got Kawhi. I've got Paul George. I've got Zubach in the post. The Clippers are dangerous, man. The Clippers are going to be dangerous. Those are some of the things <sighs> that I wanted to talk about that now since college football is over, unless, I don't know, something crazy happens before my next podcast that I gotta talk about, but, uh, yeah, so my next podcast, my Monica Bellucci's gonna be back, I'm gonna be talking about my Selma Hayek, I'm gonna be talking about my Jada Fire, I'm gonna be talking about my Lisa i am I'm gonna be talking <laughs> I'm going to be talking about the love of my life known at the NBA, so I apologize for that uh, For that rant. Let me get back on track because, yes, we still got football. We still have football. College football down is officially over. I think my man Eric G. was talking about, he's got, well, we got 280-something more days before the start of uh, college football. And I tell you, by, I guess, August, I guess August, it's gonna be, like, very, like, anxiety-prone in terms of, ooh, the college football season's gonna be starting because of the new, um, the new look of the conferences and speaking about a 12-team playoff and this, that, the other, and some of the matchups now with Oklahoma and Texas moving to the SEC, and we speak about those teams in the Pac-12 moving to the Big Ten and blah, 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 so... I can see in uh, sometime in August during the dog days of August, we're probably going to be 112 fucking degrees out here in Vegas. Lord willing, if I'm still alive, I'm going to be getting anxious about talking about uh, talking about college football. But let's put the 2023 college football season to bed and speak about the. National champions, the Michigan Wolverines, hail to the victors, 34-13 victories, victory over Washington. It was Michigan's first national championship since 1997, when it shared the honor with Nebraska. Um, it was a situation where, like, look, man, I was watching that game. I saw Michigan score two touchdowns quick. Um, the game kind of slowed down a little bit after that, and near halftime, I fell asleep, and then I woke up in the middle of the third quarter, and it seemed like really didn't miss much. You know what I'm saying? Michigan established their dominance from the opening possession of the game. First possession, eight play, 84-yard drive, 4:46 of time, time of possession. 67 of those 84 yards came on five rushing, or on five uh, carries, including the 41-yard TD run from Donovan Edwards. Then Washington's first possession went 14 plays, 67 yards, resulted in the field goal to make a 7-3. And you thought, maybe, and then the second possession for Michigan, and that maybe turned to, okay, okay. Michigan went four plays, 86 yards, touchdown, McCarthy, J.J. McCarthy completed a 37-yard pass to Roman Wilson at the Washington 46, and then after an incomplete pass, Edwards ran 46 yards for T.D., to make it fourteen to three, then it was a situation where it was like, okay, where is this going to fall in between a very close game and Georgia and TCU last year? Where, where, what, where, where are we talking about now? To Washington's credit, after that fourteen to three score, where many people thought it was going to be a blow blowout, I don't know if it was a situation where I don't, wanna, <sighs> I don't want to say Michigan relaxed. They, they definitely didn't relax. Washington did play better. But I will say this. Was there any point during the game that you thought Washington was going to come back? And when, even when it became a one-possession game, did you at any time say to yourself, hey, man, you know what? This could end up being a real barn burner. I didn't. Because of the control, because of the dominance that Michigan showed, man. Got that feeling that the outcome after it was 14-3 to was already determined. It was it was almost a feeling where Washington reverted to being the Pac-12 team that your son grew up with, or the younger generation grew up with. Where during the during the BCS and 14 playoff era, especially during the 14 playoff era, it was a situation where okay, you had the SEC dominant, you had the Big Ten dominant, you had the ACC with Clemson, and then you had the Pac-12. And it was a situation where if you took a look at dominance, if you took a look at impact, if you took a look at the presence, strong presence of the conferences, SEC had LSU, they had Alabama, now they had Georgia. Um, ACC had Clemson for a little bit, they had Florida State. You had um, the Big Ten where you had Ohio State. And then there was a situation with the Big 12. You had Oklahoma, and then you had the Pac-12, and no one was really representing. I mean, Oregon was down after Chip Kelly left. Uh, Nothing was done in terms of uh, USC after Pete Carroll left. uh, They really didn't do anything. They really didn't establish anything. Washington went through some lean years. No one cared about Washington State. No one cared about Oregon State. Chip Kelly didn't do anything. Jim Mora Jr. didn't do anything to revitalize UCLA for them being a real national power or them being relevant with them being one of the best programs in college football. So... So for the most part, and this was the reason why the college football got away with that bullshit about we had five major conferences with four teams representing the playoffs because the Pac-12 was always usually an afterthought because they didn't have that Oklahoma. They didn't have that LSU. They didn't have that Alabama. They didn't have that Clemson. They didn't have that Ohio State. So it was easy to dismiss them with the 14 playoff. And not have the Pac-12 yelling and screaming and crying about, well, what happened to us? Y'all don't have any team that's any good. <laughs> this was the first year that Washington, or the, really the first year that Washington was really invited to the, really invited to the to the dance, to the table where the big boys sit. Since, I guess, Chip Kelly was coaching um, Oregon and um, and Washington one time. Made it to the uh, college football playoffs, uh, Peterson, uh, coach Peterson back in 2015. So it almost got the vibes where it was like, oh, okay, Washington is starting to revert back to 2011, 2012, 2017, 2018, 2019. Um, Pac 12 team where, yeah, they really weren't at the level. Of some of the best teams in the country, that what the feeling that was the feeling that I got after the score was fourteen to three when Michigan jumped out to that fourteen to three lead. But to the credit of Washington, they they hung right in there. Again, I don't think I I, I the intrigue was gone in terms of could Washington win the game, but again, I, I give them credit. But you take a look at that game. You take a look at the dominance. You take a look at the physicality. Washington threw the ball 51 times, only averaging 5 yards per passing play. They averaged less than 3 yards per rush on 20 attempts. Washington had drive scoring drives. There are three scoring drives. 67, 61, and 47 yards, right? After that, their longest drive was 28 yards, then 21 yards. They had four 3-and-outs. Dominance by Michigan, Holmes. Michigan, more physical, better balanced team, had 443 yards rushing, or excuse me, 443 yards of total of uh, offense. They averaged 8 yards per rush on 38 attempts, threw the ball only 19 times, but were effective. Both teams did nothing on third down. If you take a look at the stats, and you take a look at some of the more telling stats in terms of who won, who lost, why Michigan won, why Washington lost. You wouldn't find it in the third and fourth down conversions because Michigan went 1-for-11 on third and fourth down conversions while Washington was 4-19 and on those same conversions. So it was just a situation If was watching the game. You knew that, oh, okay, Michigan, bigger players, stronger players, their will to win, their ways of winning were overwhelming the Washington Huskies. And they felt that Washington was playing catch-up through most of the game and didn't have the mustard to try to relish a comeback victory to, uh, to, uh, I don't, I can't think of any more, any more condiment type of, uh, well, whatever. But you get my drift. Um, hmm. What did y'all think about the uh, quarterbacks? What do you think about the quarterbacks? Michael Penix, J.J. Reddick? J.J. J.J. Reddick, wow. J.J. McCarthy for three. Here's my deal, right? Against Texas, after the Texas game, were you the one that were also sitting there with the rest of the folks, going, "Wow, Michael Penix Jr., this guy's a first-round draft pick. This guy could go in the top five. This guy can go in the top ten. How was this guy not ranked higher? This is unbelievable. This is fantastic. This is the you know, I can't believe. How did they give Jalen Daniels the, uh, uh, the the Heisman Trophy after this performance in the national championship game by Michael Penix Jr.? All oh, this, this. Were you one of those? Because I wasn't, A, I saw Michael Penix Jr. play enough to know, great game, but I saw him where he had stats of 14 for 32 with two interceptions. I saw him where he was shaky against Pac-12 competition at best. So it was like, yeah, he had a great game against Texas, but one game does not make a a reason for Michael Penix Jr. all of a sudden at 23 years old and the injury history that he had all of a sudden now become a top-tier quarterback or a, a quarterback that needs to be drafted early in the uh, first round. That was after, my opinion, of, after the Texas game. Then, against Washington, he came back down to earth and we were like, oh, okay, this is the reason why um, Mel Kuyper has him as the fifth best, fifth-best quarterback in the country. As far as being draft, draftable is concerned And why many people have him Near the end of the first round Or into the second round Now Lamar Jackson's saying Hey, don't be knocking on quarterbacks Who are taken near the end of the first round Jackass But uh, yeah, it's a situation where Against Michigan He was erratic He wasn't consistent He missed a couple of easy throws He missed a couple of impactful throws And some of the throws that he did make uh, That were um, That were beautiful that were strong That were mesmerizing Washington committed a penalty So look there, There's a lot of things I, I I hear all these folks talk about Michael Penix Jr. In terms of the good uh, terms of the pros Of Michael Penix Jr. And, and some folks who do this for a living NFL scouts who do this for a living um, Listen to a couple of uh, GM shows uh, Podcast shows And they talk about Michael Penix And they talk about his arm strength They talk about his arm talent and um, they talk about how he makes throws. He has the ability to make throws that NFL quarterbacks now can't make, upper tier quarterbacks can't make. But you know, against Michigan, seventeen of fifty-one, two hundred and fifty-five yards, one touchdown, along with two interception against te- against Texas. He went twenty-nine of thirty-eight for four hundred thirty yards and two touchdowns. What a difference to Games make within two weeks, so this season. Look, he threw for over forty-nine hundred yards, thirty-six touchdowns, finished second in the Heisman race. Heisman race, but my thought process with him. And look, man, I'm not a quarterback guru. I'm not a quarterback coach. I don't make my living um, evaluating quarterbacks. I'm not at the level of NFL scouts or anything like that. So, take my thoughts and opinions about Michael Penix Jr. with a grain of salt. But um, I just thought it was a situation where I don't like his wind-up. His windup is a little bit too Tim Tebow-ish, in terms of long, in terms of too slow, and I just thought that he was too inconsistent. Really doesn't have the really doesn't have the um, framework of a prototypical quarterback in the NFL for the style of quarterback that he is. And then there's the other thing, such as he's going to be 24 years old at the start of the. Uh, NFL season next year. He didn't play more than seven games in each of his first four seasons at in, at Indiana because he was always injured. And I'm not just talking about itchy, ouwee injuries. He tore his right ACL as a freshman in 2018. Then he suffered a season ending injury to his right shoulder in 2019. Then he tore the same ACL in 2020. Then he missed all but five games in 2021 because of an AC joint injury to his throwing shoulder. So, yeah, he appeared in 28 games over the two years with Washington. But, again, 24 years old, long release, not 6'4", not Justin Herbert's size, inconsistent, super arm strength, super arm talent, but 24 years old who's injury prone. And I'm talking about major injury prone. And you're going to invest a top five, top ten pick if you're going to be the Washington Commanders, if you're going to be the New England Patriots, if you're going to be the Atlanta Falcons, if you're going to be any of these teams who need a quarterback, you're going to invest a first-round draft pick into that with those readings, with that resume? Uh -uh. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Like Dwayne Nelson would say, not happening. Not happening. I'm going to rerun out of there and go somewhere else. So it's a situation where, look, J.J. McCarthy, I've heard plenty of Pro Scouts... Um, former GMs who are still connected to the game, who still watch the game, who still evaluate the game and have more, a lot more um, knowledge and understanding of what it is to be in the NFL than I do. They were talking about with J.J. McCarthy. Hey, outside of, uh, you know, even more than Drake may even more than Caleb Williams, even more than Jaden Daniels. They talk about J.J. J. McCarthy, maybe having the most upside out of all of those guys, but he did nothing um, just kind of make me say, wow, you got that right. Show me he's nothing more than a game manager. National Championship game, yeah, he ran for 31 yards, through for 140 yards, ended the season with almost 3,000 yards passing, 202 yards rushing, 25 total touchdowns. But, You know, it's it's a situation where it's kind of like is he nothing more than a game manager when you speak about most of his games he um, didn't even throw 25 passes playing in a system that might be a little bit antiquated for the NFL NFL. and then again he's what a a three year sophomore or something like that this would be a situation where if you draft J.J. McCarthy similar to Anthony Richardson similar to Trey Lance he's a project He's a project who might not be ready to play his first season unlike a Drake May unlike a Caleb Williams. So what do you do if if I'm if I'm a team near the end of the first round? If I'm a team that might have a quarterback if I'm the Dallas Cowboys maybe and I don't know how many years but that Prescott has left as the starting quarterback in the NFL. But if I'm if I'm a team maybe something like the Pittsburgh Steelers, if I'm a team something like that, Who's not completely sure of their quarterback situation long term? We don't know what Kenny Pickett's gonna be all about. If I'm the New York Jets and we saw that Zach Wilson was a bust as a franchise quarterback, especially being drafted number two and having comparisons of Patrick Mahomes, <laughs> bust. But if I'm the New York Jets, would I go ahead maybe try to move back or maybe try to move into the first round or maybe early in the second round and get myself a J.J. McCarthy if Aaron Rodgers is going to play another year or two? Could that, could that be a situation? If I'm the Denver Broncos, I mean, I don't know what they're going to do about their quarterback situation, but th- th- there are some teams outside of the top four or five or six or seven picks who could maybe draft J.J. McCarthy later on in the first round and then... It kind of put him as a project. So we'll see. All of this stuff is going to be broken down. We're, we're going to have so much nonsense. We're going to have so much ridiculous. It's going to be the silly season. As Coach Pat Jones would say, it's going to be ding dong crazy in terms of once the uh, draft combines and everything else starts, how they're going to take apart Caleb Williams, Drake May, Jaden Daniels, J.J. McCarthy if he comes about and any other quarterback how they're going to pick apart, tear down, build up. He's going first. He's overrated. He's underrated. Pro day, combine, measurements, how big are his hands, uh, all this nonsense, all of this stuff will be broken down ad nauseum. So, can't wait for that. That's going to be fun. But I'll be there to uh, help you all out with that. Hey, so the other thing, Um. Hmm. Jim Harbaugh, what do you think? Is he gone? Yeah, I think so too <laughs> There's really nothing left for him to prove Now, the, 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 I, I don't think In a situation like this, Jim Harbaugh Is running This is a situation, look, I think it's best for Jim Harbaugh I think it's best for Michigan That, hey, you know what? You you did what you said you were going to do Michigan now is one of the elite programs In college football Now Jim, go back home As a, as a coach Go back home means go back to the NFL. Go see about the Chargers. Go see about the Titans. Go see about the Falcons. Go see about the Raiders. Go see about the Commanders. Go see about me. Go see about me. Low Ballard. But um, yeah, I think it's the perfect time for him to go to the NFL. It's almost similar to um, LeBron James leaving the uh, Cavaliers the second time to go back to L.A. Remember he left Cleveland the first time uh went to uh Miami won a couple of championships then Miami kind of fizzled out he saw the writing on the wall he saw Kyrie he saw the team that was in Cleveland and he was like hmm ah i got some ideas of what i can do the hero the 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 uh guy the the the, the golden child comes back to Cleveland to uh resuscitate the franchise and finish unfinished business so he goes back there He wins a championship. Cleveland, this is for you. Remember that stuff? First championship of any kind since 1964. Cleveland Browns with Jimmy Brown and Dr. Frank Ryan and Gary Collins. But um, after getting beaten down by the Golden State Warriors and him, you know, growing as a man and a businessman and his wife wanting to move out to uh, California and his off-season home was in L.A. And everything that he wanted to do then, it was a situation where, look, I did everything that I wanted to do when I came back to Cleveland. Unfinished business, right? I won that championship. We got ourselves a good team. I put aside the bullshit that Dan uh, Dan Gilbert uh, was doing the first time that I left, that, that letter that he wrote. That we'll win a championship long before LeBron James does. So we kind of had a working relationship with that. So basically, I did all that I needed to do. Now I'm going to go back to LA and start um, doing stuff for LeBron. Right? It's the same thing with Jim Harbaugh. Look, Jim Harbaugh came back to Michigan. It was tough sledding. It was tough going for a while. But he did what he said that he was going to do. I think the road to get there, I think the journey to get there was rougher than anybody would have thought. But the key is that what makes this championship that much sweeter and the fact that, hey, time for him to uh, go on. Because when you take a look at the nine seasons he was coaching at Michigan, it wasn't all rainbow and lollipops, you know what I'm saying? From nineteen well, from about 2015 to 2020, he went 57-22 overall and 34-16 in Big Ten play. Only one season during that time from 2015 to 2020, which was 2018, where Michigan was anything close to the team that resembled this this um, Michigan team for the past three years. In 2018, they went 10-1. and They were tied for first in the Big Ten. They went to the Peach Bowl. But during that span, during those, that six-year span before 2021, hey man, it was a situation where people were not happy with Jim Harbaugh. I mean, after that COVID season where they went, I believe, two and four in the uh, Big Ten, I believe. I remember watching them play at Camp, Camp Randall and they got their asses whooped something fierce by Wisconsin. And it was the narrative starting like, okay, when is Jim Harbaugh going to bail? When is Jim Harbaugh facing underwhelming expectations, going to get out of this sinking ship and go back to the NFL to, to resuscitate and res- and um and uh, rescue his coaching legacy because he wasn't getting it done. How many times was he going to get his ass whooped by Ohio state? Remember there was a stretch there where, what four or five years in a row where Michigan, not only were they getting beat by Ohio state outside of a couple of times, they weren't even being competitive. I guess their biggest rivals in one of the biggest rivalries in college sports they lost games to Ohio State by scores of 42-13, 62-39, 56-2, uh, 56-27. to And I remember reading an article about, um, wow, how is it that Michigan is not not competitive against Ohio State? And they were talking about, from a talent, talent standpoint, Ohio State is running laps around Michigan. You take a look at the skill players. You take a look at the rankings, you take a look at all this kind of stuff, there's no comparison. The wide receivers that were on Michigan, they wouldn't even be playing at Ohio State, let alone starting. Same with the quarterback, same with the defensive line, same with the linebackers, same with the quarterback, same with the wide receivers, same with the quarterback. It was a scathing, melting, meltdown ego, beaten up look at the Michigan football program when being compared to Ohio State. And that's when Ryan Day was coaching. Not even mentioning when Urban Meyer was running the ship. He was running that ship into the ground ultimately. But but I'm speaking about, this wasn't like, well, it was Urban Meyer, I can understand. No, 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 no. Michigan and Jim Harbaugh were getting their asses by Ohio State with Ryan Day. Yes, the Ryan Day were many people In Buckeye Town are saying, I don't know if this guy's going to be the right coach for us. Can he win the big game? Ryan Day was the one that was whooping that ass on a consistent basis before 2021 and Michigan turned it around. So here we are. Here we are. End of the 2023 season. Michigan finished the deal. Winning that championship with the only thing left on his resume. From 2021 to 23, 37-3 uh, overall, 26-1 and one in Big Ten play. And this season, hey man, they beat Penn State by running 32 consecutive rushing plays. They beat Ohio State with Jim Harbaugh suspended. They out-muscled, out Nick Saban in Alabama and physically controlled and beat up Washington. The last game that Nick Saban ever coached, presumably. He was out-coached. So that was the only thing missing from Jim Harbaugh. The only thing. For those Jim Harbaugh haters who were like, yeah, okay, he was fine, he was great, this, that, and the other, but yet the cheating scandal and the fact that they lost to TCU in the championship last season, and we saw what Georgia did to TCU after they beat Michigan. So the only thing left for the haters of Jim Harbaugh is the cheating scandal. Or the spying scandal, whatever you want to say, the fact that you know he's been in trouble with the NCAA on a semi-regular basis, his quirky, his quirky, unique type of personality, and uh, the fact that he never won a national championship despite being in perfect position to do so—he hadn't even made it to a national championship game. Check, check, check. So. Everything is done. And like I mentioned before, I, I I think it's time for both Michigan and Jim Harbaugh to part ways. So if I'm Michigan, I wouldn't be too, doing too much hand-wringing because it's time. It's time. It's time. He did what he needed to do. All right. Time for me to talk about some NFL football. But first, I'm going to go ahead and take a boogie break. The NFL playoffs are set uh, in the AFC and the NFC. I'll be back to talk about them, some of the storylines and all that good stuff. Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World and Sports. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. So we have the AFC and we have the NSC, the um, playoffs have been set, Wild card weekend. Oh, by the way, you know what's on the 15th? The celebration of Martin Luther King Day. I hope everybody do, does what they need to do to uh, recognize a man of greatness and all those type of things. But uh, yeah, the uh, 13th. 14th and 15th Saturday Sunday Monday the playoffs are set in the NFC the number 7 seed the Green Bay Packers will be playing Dallas that'll be Sunday 4:30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Fox you also have the number six-seeded Los Angeles Rams. They'll be at the Detroit Lions on Sunday at 8.15 Eastern Standard Time. That'll be on NBC. You have the number 5 seed Philadelphia Eagles playing the number four-seeded Tampa Bay Buccaneers in Tampa. That'll be on Monday, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on uh, ESPN, ABC, ESPN2, another ESPN outlets. The San Francisco 49ers, who are the number one seed, they have a bye. Then in the AFC, you have the Cleveland Browns, which are seeded number five. They'll be at the Houston Texans. They're the number four seed on Saturday, 4 30 Eastern Standard Time on NBC. Then you have the number six seeded Miami Dolphins. They will be playing the number three seeded Kansas City football team on Saturday. That'll be at 8 15 Eastern Time on Peacock. Peacock, mm hmm. Then on, let me see, on Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on CBS, the number seven. Seated Pittsburgh Steelers will be playing the number two seated Buffalo Bills. The Baltimore Ravens and the AFC have the number one by being the number one team in the AFC. So let's take a look at these games starting on Saturday, shall we? The Cleveland Browns play the Houston Texans. The Texans have wins against the Jaguars, the Buccaneers, the Bengals. That's the Bengals with Joe Burrow when they were on a four-game winning streak at the time. They had just come off beating the San Francisco 49ers. So the um, Cincinnati Bengals at that time were hot. We're one of the it teams. We're one of these feared teams. We're what the Buffalo Bills are right now in terms of, ooh, you don't want to play that team right now. The Houston Texans wanted to, and they beat them. So when we speak about a quarterback, CJ Stroud, a rookie, and we speak about the... Um, newness or the inexperience that the Houston Texans have and how are they going to hold up uh, in their first playoff game in a while. If they have a little bit of evidence, even though with a regular season, they do have some evidence against some really good teams that uh, they can get the job done. So, again, how is C.J. Stroud going to do in his first playoff game against possibly the best defense in the NFL? What are the... What are the Houston Texans basically going to do about trying to not contain, slow down the uh, pass rush led by Miles Garrett of the Browns? And can the Ravens' Joe Flacco continue his run of success throughout the playoffs? Now, it, it hasn't been completely a Jim Plunkett situation. Remember when Jim Plunkett, I know for a lot of folks listening to this program, are going, huh, who, what? Research guys, NFL films guys, YouTube guys, look it up guys, history learning guys, Jim Plunkett, Heisman Trophy winner from Stanford, number one overall pick by the New England Patriots back in the 70s, got the shit beat out of them for years, got so beaten up and broken that um, he was thinking about retirement, Al Davis said, no, 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 before you do that, come out here to Los Angeles and be a backup behind Mark Davis with the then Los Angeles Raiders. Well, Mark Davis, I think his name was Mark Davis. I know that he was a a quarterback from BYU, but uh, Mark Wilson, Mark Davis, I don't know. The starting quarterback, he got injured halfway through the season. Jim Plunkett came in got hot, unbelievable, can't believe it, thought this guy was dead, thought Jim Plunkett was no longer existing, thought Jim Plunkett, the career that we all thought he was going to have when he came out of Stanford, I thought that was long gone, he was considered a bust, he was considered bad news, he was considered broken goods, he was considered a has-been, he was considered a wash-up, but he led that, oh, it was was it the Oakland Raiders? He led the Oakland Raiders 1980 to the, um, NFL Championship against the Philadelphia Eagles, twenty-seven to ten. Rod Martin with the MVP. But basically, what I'm saying is that Jim Plunkett came off the bench, came off the couch, came off of our, came into our conscience as a football quarterback and led a team to a Super Bowl victory. Does Joe Flacco have some of that Jim Plunkett magic in him? Can Joe Flacco do what Jim Plunkett did? Back in the day, can Joe Flacco just get them past the um, Houston Texans? Two storybook franchises in terms of this season, in terms of no one thought the Houston Texans were going to be as good as they were, and no one thought the Cleveland Browns, after losing Nick Chubb and after losing Deshaun Watson, would be as good as they are right now. But uh, yeah, so those those are going to be some interesting things when you take a look at Cleveland playing at Houston. Um, Can C.J. Stroud continue his strong play? He seems to have passed every single test in terms of, is this moment going to be too big for him? Again, his first playoff game, he has shown before against some quality teams that he can get the job done, that the Houston Texans can beat those teams. But this is a whole different animal. This is a whole different storyline. This is a whole different play. This is a whole different book that's going to be read when you speak about C.J. Stroud's first playoff game, and when you think about some of the younger quarterbacks in their first playoff games, I think about Lamar Jackson, and I think about others, how they have taken the dip because of the intensity, because of the atmosphere itself. Can C.J. Stroud, again, against one of the elite defenses in the NFL, the Cleveland Browns, can he continue to be that catalyst for the offense, and can Joe Flacco Still be that guy at quarterback for Kevin Stefanski. Probably going to be the NFL coach of the year. Is he going to be able to uh, get the job done again with a com- with a depleted um, skill set around him? So that'll be that'll be interesting to take a look at and to see. On Saturday, that's going to be the first game of the NFL playoff season. Then after that, you're going to have Miami at Kansas City. Miami lost to Kansas City in Week 9 in Frankfurt, Germany. They fell behind 21-0 before ultimately losing 21-14. Storylines is, I think, pretty easy. This is going to be the first time in the Patrick Mahomes era with the Kansas City football team where, guess what? If they're going to win this game, if they're going to do anything... It's not going to be Mahomes dominated. That defense is going to have to win these games. Because if you take a look at the Kansas City offense, and we're not just talking about a Kansas City offense where you have receivers who can't catch the football, kind of uh, not advantageous when when your qualifications or one of your requirements for playing a position is to catch the ball, and that's one of your weaknesses. And we take a look at some other meltdowns if you take a look at some of the miscues at important times from the skill position players for Kansas City um, during the season. Patrick Mahomes, you could easily say this has been the most difficult season that he's had. For the first time, I think that he's actually looked kind of normal. Somewhat normal. So this is going to be interesting to see a defense in Kansas City which had the second best scoring defense. And the league giving up 17 points per game, now being the one that's going to be determining if they're going to be moving forward. Because, again, even with Patrick Mahomes at quarterback, how much can you trust the skill sets, the skill players around him? That inconsistent running game with uh, Isaiah Pacheco. You take a look at Travis Kelsey. He's been up and down this season. And, of course, I think... Really, when you take a look at the starting quarterbacks in the, uh, the uh, starting wide receivers in the um, NFL, I think Kansas City might have the, the, the worst or one of the worst in the uh, NFL. So, again, Patrick Mahomes trying on offense to turn chicken shit into chicken salad. How successful is he going to be doing so? How successful can he be? When you take a look at the Miami Dolphins and you take a look at the injuries that they have had, especially when you're speaking about the defensive side of the football, when you're speaking about Bradley Chubb tearing his ACL on Week 17, the pass rushers, Jaden uh, Phillips, him uh, tearing his Achilles. So the pass rushers, the important impactful players for Miami on defense aren't going to be there. Is Kansas City going to be able to expose, take advantage of that weakness in that Miami defense? And then you also have to take a look at some of the other injuries. Tyreek Hill has been battling an ankle injury on offense. Racine uh, Mostert didn't play in week 17 a important game against the Buffalo Bills. You take a look at Jaden Waddle who has um uh, uh ankle injuries also or, or uh, foot problems also. I mean, this is going to be a situation where okay, on offense, how much can Miami I do Especially when you take a look at the weather where it's going to be 12 degrees below zero on Saturday night. Or it's expected in Kansas City where the temperature is going to be below 12 degrees on Saturday night. So how much is that going to affect um, the offense for the um, Miami Dolphins when you're going to have a quarterback in Tua, not the strongest arm in the league. Now you're going to be facing those weather conditions. How effective, ineffective, how much of an impact is that weather going to be for that Miami offense, and also really for that uh, Kansas City offense also. The running game is going to have to be important. So now we come back to offensive line, defensive line, running backs for uh, both those squads. More so maybe than the impact that Tua or Mahomes is going to have due to the weather conditions. So that'll be that'll be interesting to find out. That'll be an interesting um, watch in that uh, situation. And then let me see here, we got that then let me see in the AFC, we have on Sunday we have Pittsburgh at Buffalo forecast in Buffalo is calling for sub-freezing temperatures with possible snow oh goody, oh goody it's amazing, I don't know why this has been my rant for years and years and years if you're going to be having a playoff game in Buffalo, just like when they used to have playoff games in Miami or stuff like excuse me, in um, Buffalo and in Green Bay why the hell are you going to have those be the late games? So really? So we're going to have those games being played in the coldest temperatures possible? You couldn't move the Buffalo game to a better situation? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. A lot of times we have those games where it's going to be cold weather being played at 8 o'clock at night. And it's like, really? Y'all going to do that? So when you take a look at this game, Buffalo and uh, Pittsburgh, I think some of the storylines are pretty much self-explanatory. Um, I think really... We have to take a look at the Buffalo Bills. If this is this going to be the way that the Bills are, are produced right now? Their team right now. The coaching staff that they have right now. Is it do or die? I'm not talking about they're getting rid of Josh Allen or Stephon Diggs or anything like that. But in a situation like this, where you had the Bills coming into the season as one of the favorites in the AFC to win the Super Bowl or to make it to the Super Bowl. And it's been a very arduous, circular, up-and-down season. When you take a look at them, the only reason why they're the number two seed in the AFC was based on that five-game winning streak to end the season. For them to get to the position that they are in right now, from at one point being under five hundred after 11 weeks in the NFL season or 12 weeks in the NFL season, now you take a look and you say, okay, is, is, is this going to be for the team that's, Construed at the Buffalo Bills right now. Is constituted at the Buffalo Bills right now. Is this going to be their last chance? Because for the last couple of years now. Two or three years. They have been considered. Quote unquote. Heavy favorites or favorites. To um, win the AFC. And during that time. In the regular season. Yeah, they're 63 and 30. But they're 4 and 4 in the playoffs. And haven't been to the AFC championship game. In a while. I think they went to the AFC championship game. only, Only once. So how important is this game going to be for Buffalo? If they lose at home to an undermanned Pittsburgh Steelers squad, what is going to be the ramifications? What's going to be the impact, negative impact, the historical impact of losing this game to Sean McDermott and to others, just the Bills organization, if they get upset at home against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Another storyline, which Josh Allen is going to show up for Buffalo? Because Josh Allen is the only quarterback I could think of right now almost like a modern day Brett Favre who can all in one game lose you the game then win you the game. And that's kind of like what he did (laughs) the last week weekend against uh, Miami. How many turnovers did he have especially in the red zone with two or three or four. But he made enough plays in the game for him to be responsible for him to overcome the mistakes that he made. So moving forward now, how much of bad Josh and good Josh are we going to get? Are we going to get them all in one game? And we're all if we're going to get that all in one game, I would sure hope that bad Josh shows and rears his ugly head first, and then good Josh comes in to save the day. Because it's almost a situation where it's kind of like we're going to have to expect Josh Allen to do some nutty things, but he's also going to do some things that are going to have your draw, jaw drop to the floor and say, oh my goodness, that's the most incredible thing I've ever seen. How in the hell did he pull that off? So it's it's a situation where how much of bad Josh is going to come into this game? How much of good Josh is going to come into this game for the Buffalo Bills? And how much can the Buffalo Bills on offense and defense help out so Josh Allen doesn't have to rear ugly Josh Allen, bad Josh Allen, gunslinger Josh Allen, mistake-prone Josh Allen, more plate, more responsibility on your plate, Josh Allen, how much can a nice running game, how much can a strong defense, how much can other Buffalo Bills skill players help in that situation to tame, to calm down, to minimize the opportunity for bad Josh to rear its ugly head?" For Pittsburgh, do they even have a chance without T.J. Watt? He's ruled out for the wildcard game due to a grade 2 MCL sprain. The Steelers defense has been terrible in recent appearances. Everybody thinks that Mike Tomlin and the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers have this stout defense with T.J. Watt. Um, history says no 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 if you take a look at the three playoff games over the past six seasons that the Steelers have uh, been in they lost 45-42 to the Jacksonville Jaguars in the 2017 wild card round that's when Leonard Fournette ran for 109 yards and three touchdowns they lost to uh, Blake Bortles when Pittsburgh still had Ben Roethlisberger then in the 2020 wild card game they lost at home to the Cleveland Browns, 48-37, Baker Mayfield. That was the game where they fell behind 28-0 in the first quarter and Ben Roethlisberger was atrocious. Then they lost 42-21 to Kansas City in the 2021 wild card round, a game in which Patrick Mahomes was 30 for 39, 404 yards and five touchdowns. So you see those results. You see that they're going to be without their best defensive player. And then they're going to also be starting Mason Rudolph as their quarterback. Basically, what I'm trying to say here is, do they have a chance? Do they have any kind of chance? So, it'll be interesting. Let's go to the NFC, shall we? I want to to get that in there before I go to break. Um, The number two seed, Dallas Cowboys. The number seven seed, Green Bay Packers. You realize it's been 27... (laughs) You realize it's been 27 years since Dallas has got to the Super Bowl, made it to the Super Bowl. Explain to me again how Jerry Jones is in the Hall of Fame with him being in charge for the most part, 27 years and counting. So what I'm trying to say is being the number two seed, the Cowboys are going to play at least two games at home where I believe they've been undefeated and for the most part been scoring over 35 points a game. So, so so basically, when I take a look at this Cowboy team, what does this playoff season mean for both Dak Prescott and Mike McCarthy? Because win or lose, those are going to be the two guys that are going to get most of the the praise, the glory, or the blame. And I know that if they lose, McCarthy is going to get the lion's share of the blame. And depending upon how he plays, Dak Prescott is also going to get the... Uh, Uh, the uh, uh, lion's share of the uh, blame Prescott going into his 10th season he led the league in passing ranked 2nd in completion percentage was up there for the MVP I know it hasn't been announced yet but many people are saying that it's Lamar Jackson who's going to win the MVP but it's it's easy to say that Patrick Mahomes top 3 top 4 MVP candidate he's also playing for a contract extension right This is according to the NFL's uh, network, Ian Rappaport, that Prescott and the Cowboys are expected to sign a rich contract extension this offseason because the quarterback's contract expires in 2024. So so what does that mean for a guy who allegedly was supposed to be making 50-something million dollars next season? What does it mean if... Prescott comes out and loses at home to Jordan Love in the playoff. How much rancor, how much vile, how much anger, how much of an impact this is going to have on Prescott, regardless of how well he plays. I mean, hell... Green Bay could win this game 56-55 and I'm quite sure that Dak Prescott would be getting some type of lion's share of the blame so what does this mean for the Cowboys and for Dak Prescott moving forward given this is their best chance to win I think as far as Dak Prescott in terms of being the starting quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys not only is this his best opportunity I think he's also playing with his best team both offensively and defensively. He's been having a strong connection with C.D. Lamb. The running game, a little bit shaky, a little bit inconsistent, but I still stand by the opinion that I just said in terms of the totality of the team, and you take a look at the other teams outside of the San Francisco 49ers that are going to be competing for the championship in the NFC. I think considering... That Dallas has the home field advantage except for when they play, if they play the San Francisco 49ers this is the best chance for them to make it to the Super Bowl if they don't how much is this going to affect the Cowboys and Dak Prescott moving forward and also, when you take a look at Mike McCarthy this is the situation. Is he still fighting for his job? Because after Sunday's win over the uh, Commanders to clinch the division, Jerry Jones was asked about the future of Mike McCarthy, and what he said via the uh, Fort Worth Telegram. He said, "We'll see how each game." And he sees. <clears throat> he said, "We'll see how each game goes in the playoffs." Huh? Of course. The next day, he came back on 105. The fan with Sean Sharif and was talking about, "Oh no, 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 no! I couldn't be more pleased with what he's done." And I really meant it. He's the big difference this year. So the last thing that I want to do is spend any time talking with him about these kinds of things, agreements, extensions of agreements, especially when we got, uh, especially when I've got one. So that's that. Okay. All right. But still, this is a situation. You know how Cowboys fans love to hate on them? Some uh, Mike McCarthy, some of his game managing situations, especially in the uh, close closing moments in crucial parts of the game. And what impact could Jordan Love have to his first win on the road in the playoffs to get the Cowboys? How much would that move the needle? How much validation would that have? How much then will we consider Jordan Love, a guy who played six games in the regular seasons against teams that made the playoffs when you speak about uh, Kansas City, Detroit, the Rams, And others, they were 3-3 of those games. And in those six games that uh, Jordan Love played, he completed 67% of his passes, threw for 12 touchdowns, 4 interceptions, and averaged 264 yards per game passing in those six matchups. How much of a needle mover would it be? How much of a confidence boost would it be For not just Jordan Love, but for the Packers organization and the fan base to see Jordan Love come out and have a good game and help the Green Bay Packers upset the Dallas Cowboys. So those are are some of the things. The Rams and Detroit. Detroit's first home game in 30 years. Making their first playoff appearance since 2016. They haven't won a postseason game since 1991. Storylines. Basically this. The Lions defense has been over-underwhelming. Do you trust the Lions defense against Sean McVay in a playoff situation? The Rams offense has played its best football of the season since, those, uh, since this week 10 bye. Since then, they've averaged almost 30 points per game. Last seven games against some of the league's top defenses when you speak about Cleveland, when you speak about Baltimore. When you speak about San Francisco, how much confidence can you have that you're a Detroit Lions fan of them bringing the mojo, of them bringing the success that they had in a regular season to the postseason? Especially when you speak about the Lions franchise as a whole. Not speaking about the whole stretch of the Ford family owning them, but just in recent memory. And how much of an impact on the game will the Jared Goff returns to stick it to Sean McVay for not believing in him. I mean, if I'm Sean McVay, excuse me, if I'm Jared Goff and I'm Sean McVay and I'm everybody else involved in what went down with Jared Goff being traded to the Lions for Matthew Stafford, aren't we sort of kind of past that by now? Jared Goff reestablished himself as a starting quarterback in the NFL leading the Detroit Lions on offense to uh, the NFC North Championship. I mean, shouldn't shouldn't that be enough? That'll be an interesting talking point. And then we have on Monday, Philadelphia, Tampa Bay. Philadelphia beat Tampa Bay 25-11 at Raven Jane Stadium back in week three when we thought that Cleveland was the cream of the crop, when we thought that the Eagles were one of the best teams in the NFL. But um, one in five cents, another underwhelming, head-scratching, depressing performance against the uninspiring performance against the New York Giants to save the season – now, you can sit there and say, well, they knew where they were going to be because, really, the Washington Commanders beating the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> we knew that wasn't going to happen, so maybe the Eagles didn't have the verb, the vigor, the enthusiasm, the focus, the passion, the dedication to really compete, especially after um, the Giants got ahead. But for this game, is it possible for the Eagles to save their season? And If they do beat the the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Does that mean that the Eagles are quote-unquote back? Jalen Hurts has significantly regressed. What does that mean? A.J. Brown has been injured. What does that mean? The defense has been been, uh, underwhelming and banged up. So all of those things are going to be uh, discussed, looked upon, thought upon, talked about. So... Can't wait for the um. Can't wait for these. Can't wait for these games to take place. Really can't. I'm gonna end the um, show. I'm gonna be talking about some um, NFL coaching news. Teams with possible openings. I'll make it short. I'll make it brief. I know y'all have other things to do, but I just want to uh, go ahead and uh, talk about it real quick. Um, the coaching carousel. So far, teams with opening positions with head coaches: Carolina, Las Vegas, the Chargers, my Commanders, Tennessee, and Atlanta. I mean, you know, where are we going to go with this? You know what? I'm going to save this. How long has this been right now? I'm going to save this for my next podcast because I still want to figure out what's going on with uh, Bill Belichick. I don't think really anything can move um, until Belichick is, that situation is taken care of. I know there's also um, an opening in Seattle. Situation where it's kind of like, look, man, uh, again, Pete Carroll is 70-something years old. 71, 72. And you could talk about he's the most frisky, he's the most energetic 72-year-old or 73-year-old out there. He's 73 years old. My listeners who are 73 years old, y'all know what that means, right? (laughs) I mean, you know, he had the energy, he had the passion. Great. That's fantastic. I'm thinking about Ulster with Belichick when they speak about, well, this is a situation where he could, um, Belichick could be um, let go or resign or whatever. So which teams are going to be interested in him? Man, I don't know what the attention of Bill Belichick are. I, I, I'm a Washington Commanders fan, right? Give me, give me a GM, give me a coach who are going to be working together for the next eight, 10, 12, 15 years. Right? That's going to restart the building progress. We might have the number two pick in the draft. We might have some cap room. But we're nowhere close to being able to um, compete for anything. Even in the NFL, where you can go from worst to first, see Houston... Well, that's possible. I still don't think we can do it. We don't have a quarterback. Our defense, especially our secondary, absolutely sucks. We have a new ownership, so we don't even know who's going to be the GM. We don't know who's going to be the coach. We're playing in an antiquated stadium. We still have that situation to be dealing with. So there's a lot of stuff where there's questions where, look, I just want to build. I want to start from ground zero, and I just want to build. We have the number two draft pick. I don't know much. I don't know enough about these quarterbacks to say Drake May is going to be the guy. Caleb Williams is going to be the guy. Jaden Daniels is going to be the guy. Bo Nix is going to be the guy. I don't know. And guess what? A lot of these quarterbacks who were picked in the first five, three, two picks don't make it. They're not the franchise quarterback. Just because a quarterback is drafted number one or just because a quarterback in some certain draft year is the best quarterback out there does not mean he's going to be a franchise quarterback. Not everybody can be a Trevor Lawrence. Not everybody can be an Andrew Luck. Not everybody can be a Peyton Manning. Not everybody can be that. There's far more Marcus Mariotas. There's far more Derek Carrs. There's far more Jameis Winston's. There's far more Baker Mayfields, there's far more Zach Wilsons, in terms of the team that drafts them leading them to championships and success, there's far more of those Baker Mayfields, Jameis Winstons, Marcus Mariottas than there are Peyton Mannings and Trevor Lawrences. So, I'm not up here talking about, oh, we got the number two pick, so let's just pick the best of the lot from the quarterback position. If Drake May can't play... And the Chicago Bears select Caleb Williams, then either we better draft the best player available or move out of that pick and accumulate more draft picks. Because we are far away from the Washington Commanders being anything decent. We're, we're, we're far from just being a quarterback away from being de- decent. There's far more work to do. So, don't, don't, but my, my main thing is, is that I was hearing some reports that, you know, good what what good fits, and I'll be talking about this on my next podcast next week, what good fits are there going to be for um, these teams? And people were talking about, well, um, Bill Belichick going to the commanders. No! No! As great as Bill Belichick is, I don't want Bill Belichick coaching my commanders. Why? Because I'm not interested in a coach who's 71 years old, who's like, I don't know. When you're 71 years old, man, it's year to year. When you're that old, he can't promise us five years. He can't promise us 10 years. He can't promise us two years in terms of how long I'm going to be the coach here. Man, when you're that old, and thank goodness I'm not that old just yet. Got Got a little bit of time before I get there. But it's a situation where it's like, man, when you're that old, it's like, hey, man, I'm 71 years old. There's no guarantee, guarantee I'm going to make 71 and a half, you know, because I'm at that age. So before we start talking about long-term success and grooming quarterbacks and projects and with the offensive line and the defensive line and all this type of stuff, nah, man, hold on for a second. Bill Belichick, Josh McDaniels as the offensive coordinator and Steven Belichick as the uh, defensive coordinator for the Washington Commanders? No, no, no. No, go out and get me a Kevin O'Connell. Go out and get me a Matt LaFleur. Go out and get me a Kevin Stefanski. Go out and get me a D'Amico Ryans. Go out and get me one of these young cats. Go out and get me a Zach Wilson. Go out and get me the coach for Cincinnati. Go out and get me one of those guys. Don't give me a Sean Payton type. Don't give me a Bill Belichick type. Don't give me a Pete Carroll type. Don't give me even a Jim Harbaugh type. No, 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 no. Man, give me a guy who... Give me a guy like the Steelers organization. You know when they draft when they um, uh, hired Mike Tomlin at the age of thirty four maybe that that young but give me a give me a, a, a Sean McVeigh in terms of youth and all that type of stuff innovation all that type of stuff then we'll go on from there all right all right I'm out of here want to thank you so much for listening to the podcast um, as always guys and gals who listen to my podcast please see what we can do to spread the love spread the unity to those in need. For those who are down and out, for those who are downtrodden, for those who might need a helping hand, let's see what we can do to uh, show a little love and support and empathy, please. It would make this world so much better, a much better place to be. Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World in Sports, get me out of here with some music.